The future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Archaeology is often viewed as a fascinating, eclectic, and ultimately quaint pursuit. This program explores archaeology from the perspective of professionals who demonstrate that in the 21st century, archaeology and its sub-disciplines may hold the key, not only to our past, but to our present and future. Welcome to Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology, with your host, Dr. Joseph Schuldenrein. Spend the next hour exploring where we came from and where we're headed with a leading researcher and practitioner in the field. Now, here is Dr. Schuldenrein. Good afternoon, everyone. This is Joe Schuldenrein with another episode of Indiana Jones, Myth, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology. Today's topic is a very serious one and one that is quite unique. It is uh, a broad-based and uh, sort of focused at the same time assessment of the status of Mexican archaeology. And I speak about Mexico, not necessarily Mesoamerican archaeology, because there is a major political overtone to what we're going to be discussing today. We have had, as many of you know, uh, numerous programs on Mesoamerican archaeology in Mexico in particular. We have discussed the Maya. Uh, in the Yucatan, and we have discussed the emergence of urban archaeology in Mexico City and related uh, suburban areas. And we have uh, focused on the pure archaeology of Mexico and Mesoamerica on several programs. And of course, it's a field that is very expansive and one that occupies a lot of interest in the archaeological community. However, in keeping with uh, some of the general themes that we are focusing on in this program, we are also talking about the political climate and the aspects of applied archaeology that relate to the performance of archaeology in various parts of the world. And as many of you know, Mezzo, Me Mexico is a, uh, in a very turbulent situation right now. And today's guest is... Uh, an archaeologist, a respected uh, archaeologist who is confronting the politics and will be discussing the political climate in Mexico amongst uh, other topics related to her research and specifically to the climate that has emerged in recent years for conducting archaeology in Mexico. My very special guest is Dr. Sandra L. Lopez Varela who is a research professor and co-founder co of the Faculty of Humanities at, at the University of Morelos. She completed her undergraduate degree at the Escuela Nacional de Antropología y Historia and then 
obtained her master's in archaeology at the Institute of Archaeology at University College London. She received a PhD in archaeology at the University of London. Her research studies concentrate on the effects of social development policies and institutional economics to combat poverty on non-industrial technologies. She received the Bessel Prize from the Alexander von Humboldt Foundation in 2012. She is currently holding the archaeology seat of the American Anthropological Association, which brings her incidentally to Washington, D.C. these past few days. She has served as president of the Society for Archaeological Sciences between 2009 and 2011, and she has served as president of the Humboldt Foundation in Mexico uh, between 2008 and 2010. Since 2009, she has been a member of the Mexican Academy of Sciences, Arts, Technology, and Humanities, and she is involved in Mexico's heritage push. She has served as the state advisor for land use planning and development in the state of Morelos, and she is a scientific advisor to the municipality of Cuernavaca. Uh, Dr. Lopez Varela, it is an honor to have you on this program. Thank you very much for coming. Thank you very much for having me. And let's begin with uh, discussing a little bit of your background and um, how you got interested in archaeology and what, uh, what your research interests are and how you uh, developed your career in this field. Well, you'll be surprised to know that I was never interested in archaeology. Really? Yeah, really, yeah. I wanted to be an architect. And, um, and I don't think I was very good at doing architecture, so... Um, I come from a family of architects, so I, think, I thought maybe that was the thing to do. And then I discovered that I liked history and that I liked um, art history and that I liked um, to know about how people lived in the past, but not really. Um, I was not very good at designing buildings, <laughs> so uh-huh. um, that's how I um, got interested in archaeology, by knowing that I was not very good at designing <laughs> and so how did you start? What, uh, when did you actually develop your major, and when did you develop your focus? Was it in, in undergraduate studies or graduate studies? How did that work? Yeah, well, see, the, the Escuela Nacional, it's like one of the greatest schools ever um, because we have archaeology um, on our backyard, so it, it's always hands-on. So um, you start from the very from from your very, from the very beginning. You most of your courses are really um, hands-on projects, and you have a lot of field work. So um, uh, actually, two things uh, basically changed uh, what was going to what I was going to be doing, and one was um, an invitation by uh, Roberto Garcia Mol, who was um, director of the Jashilam project. And that's how I became involved in the Maya region. And the other one was um, an invitation by my friend and colleague Lorena Williams, who's now in Campeche, to go and work with uh, Jerry Sabloff when he was having that project at Sayil in the Yucatan. So those are the two um, major um, events that uh, focus what I was going to be doing in archaeology at the very early stages of my career, so just concentrating in the Maya region. And your work in the Maya region was related to specifically settlement geography, or um, I know you've done a lot of science in archaeology, which is certainly one of the uh, 
aspects of archaeology that we've discussed on this program since I do the same thing. So what kind of scientific approaches did you practice and champion in your uh, studies in the Mayan area? Well, I started doing uh, ceramic studies. That's that's how I started. And then I realized the uh, relevance of doing applying science um, to um, ceramics in general and also the need to do ethnoarchaeology, to be in contact with, uh, with the potters. It didn't matter if it was going to be in the Maya region or in other areas of um, Mexico. I needed to be in touch with the... Um, with with the potters and learn how to make how to make pots. That was the uh, the first approach on how I actually became involved with uh, ethnoarchaeology. So I went from um, the science and doing all the studies, the technological studies. That was part of my postdoc in Germany when I got very interested in doing um, more science and um, and pottery studies. And then I moved to ethnoarchaeology and. Maybe confronting the reality of um, how potters live in this area where I was working in the state of Morelos, which, by the way, is very close by to um, the site of Xochicalco. Um, that's when I started getting involved with uh, heritage, rethinking a little bit about how we were doing archaeology in Mexico and um, concentrating on the applied field, too. And... Um, and I think you recently also had um, Jeff Alshul as one of your guests. I had I was very very lucky to um, to do um, a very brief research at um, statistical research, and um, and that also changed my life. As How so? Know. How yeah. so? Well, because you know um, the. Uh, the idea that you have in Mexico about archaeology is that it's always attached to the academia, that it's always uh, obviously it's a national it's a national concept of what heritage is for for a country and also for the academia. So when I started working at um, statistical research and I I saw everything that we were missing and the potential of um, pushing and um, actually. Um, uh, it, it, to a certain extent, institutionalizing applied archaeology in Mexico, the benefits of doing applied archaeology and how could we uh, overcome so many things, so many frustrations from the students not getting jobs, from um, also from um, our frustration with not being able to take care of all the of all our heritage, what we really care for, especially when it comes to um, economic and economic projects. Um, you know, Mexico is one of these uh, threshold con- countries. Maybe it's also an emerging economy. So there's a lot of projects uh, related to economic development that are clearly destroying part of our heritage and. Um, and um, the, the National Institute of Anthropology and History in Mexico does not have the budget to take care of, of all the um, of all the heritage that we have in Mexico. It, so the model that is um, in place um, in other parts of the world became very clear to me when I was when I was at statistical research. And so, uh, one of the things that, that that I find intriguing in in your discussion is that you you did spend obviously a fair amount of time in Europe uh, getting your uh, advanced degrees, and I was wondering how that affected your perspective. You're doing your graduate work, and uh, specifically your work in London. How uh, how that molded the perspectives that you had, or was that purely technical? No, actually, I think. Um 
I think I got the anthropology that is needed in um, in archaeology from from the European side. I think that was um, that was very vivid, um, especially when I was in Germany. That I was um, um, in touch with all these um, with all the new philosophers, philosophy of science, with the sociologists, and um, it was the perfect environment to learn the anthropological side of what needs to be incorporated into into archaeology. So it was not about the it was not about the techniques, uh, but that's that's probably the heritage that I have from 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 London, from both the uh, UCL and um, and the University of London. That was that was uh, and also um, from the University of Bonn. I mean, there was a um, the the atmosphere um, was very very rich when when it came to um, philosophy of science, and I think that is that is really really important. So all this new social archaeology that it's. Um, um, Right now, happening in the states. I mean, it was already new to me when 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 it started. So this was not a perspective that you got when you were obviously an undergraduate or, or uh, domestically in, in in the Mexican universities. No, in, um, in fact, what what you get, um, what what I, what I find really fascinating about um, studying in Mexico is that all your field work and all the practice that you do, how you excavate, um, how you learn to excavate, that, that comes from, the technical part comes from Mexico. I mean, the escuela doesn't have, uh, or, or maybe it's in a better position now, but um, at the time that I was studying, uh, we didn't have a good library. Uh, we didn't have enough money to, like, um, go and buy books. So it was um, it was very precarious, but it was very, very rich when it came to techniques because that's, that's exactly exactly what you do at the escuela. You learn all these techniques, all these field techniques, survey techniques, maybe not with, with the uh, latest technology, but the hands-on um, education was very, well, was, was a very, very important basis for me. We're going to take a break right here, and we will come back with our very fascinating discussion on doing archaeology in contemporary Mexico with Dr. Sandra Lopez Varela after these words. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. If you hear a dog barking or an angel singing, then you know that you're listening to Waking Up in America. Heard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific Time, Valerie Kirkard and all of her friends will bring you powerful and humorous discussions that raise thoughts and give you insight on how to live your life to its fullest potential. Adventure is always a must on Waking Up in America with Valerie Kirkard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific. Is your business model robust enough? In today's ever-changing business environment, people are working to transform themselves, their futures, and their business. Tune in to Business Reinvention with your host, Nancy Lynn. To stay ahead of the game in business, you have to constantly reinvent yourself and your organization. With Nancy's experience and that of her guest experts, you'll learn from stories of inspiration, innovation, and forward thinking. Listen for Business Reinvention, live every Monday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Business Channel. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. 
listening to Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology with Dr. Joseph Schuldenrein. To be a part of our discussion today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to joseph.schuldenrein at gra-goarc.com. Now, back to the program. We're back. I'm having a discussion on doing archaeology in Mexico in contemporary 21st century Mexico. And my very special guest is Dr. Sandra Lopez Varela, who has extensive experience not only in Mexico, but in North America and in Europe as well. She was trained in Mexico and in Europe and uh, began working in the United States uh, with uh, cultural resources firm, uh, Statistical Research Institute in uh, in Phoenix, Arizona. And uh, Dr. Uh, Lopez Varela, why don't you tell us a little bit of how your working at SRI changed your perspectives on archaeology and how it affected your career track? Well, one of the um, probably one of the things that um, marked uh, that research day. Um, with uh, with SRI, this was back in 2004-2005. I was on sabbatical, and um, and I didn't want to go to uh, the big universities, even though I did. I mean, I went to an Ivy League or sort of Ivy League. I went to Stanford. I wanted to uh, combine uh, that sabbatical. Um, but one of the things that caught my attention was the uh, possibility of finishing up your degree and having a job at the end which is, like, not very clear in Mexico. Um, because of the current national model, um, you're assumed to have a job in the academia or maybe, if you're lucky, at the uh, National Institute of Anthropology um, of INA. And, um, and just to give you an example, most of my friends that um, were from the same class, they ended up working at INA. And, um, and I didn't have a job. So I continued studying, and I decided I should just go on and until maybe I could get a job. So by the time that I finished my Ph.D., I was the only one that didn't have a job. So I went on and studied a postdoc and still no jobs. So um, when I saw the potential and the frustration that I myself uh, went through um, and that all many, many students right now all over the world because this is not only related to Mexico. I have very, very good um, students and friends in Spain that are going through very difficult times because they, they can't find a job. And it's because of this idea that archaeology only has to be about the academia. And if you're doing, I mean, this is the old discussion um, that's probably um, disappearing in the States, but um, it's, it's, it's there in Mexico or in places where you don't have a CRM industry. So when I saw the potential of all these years of um, th- that you could actually come to a, come, you, you can find a job at the end. That was that was just one of the, the experiences that shocked me because I would I had I, even though I didn't have a job, I was teaching, so I would spend all this all this time grading exams, teaching for my students, knowing very well that they would n- never be able to get a job. And that's the story right now for many students in Mexico. Students that are even st- 
starting right now because the National Council of Science and Technology in Mexico is providing them with grants, which at my time, uh, we didn't even have that option. So right now, they're, they're concerned that they're in the States, they're, um, they're going to get their PhDs, and now what are they going to do? Their job market right now, it's, it's, um, it's difficult in the States, but in Mexico, it's even more difficult to get a job in the academia. So we used to um, have this joke that they would have to wait until I died to get the job. So that's exactly what's going to happen because it's, it's, um, there are no jobs. The situation, it's difficult over there in Mexico. And um, so, be, so the students are, the students are very disappointed. And, and this is, this, this is of great concern to me. And that was one of the truths that I learned. The second truth was that, um, I shouldn't be afraid of private investment and that I shouldn't be afraid of private companies, of the word private private, or privatization, or um, that I shouldn't be afraid of that because, um, of course, I was working with statistical research and I had the opportunity to do CRM. Um, what, when, while I was there, I learned a very different rhythm, and I, and I also, I think, became more productive after my stay because, you know, when you're in the academia, you write an article, it will take maybe a month. When you have the pressure of the developer that, that, want, that they want a project in 24 hours to be ready, then that's a very different story, and then you have to do it with the same quality as if you were doing the, that um, article. So that was that was very shocking to me that that there was that I shouldn't be afraid of the word private of a private company, that nothing was going to happen. So a fear went away, and right. a fear that lives in many many students and in many many um, academics in Mexico. Let me ask you a little bit about the infrastructure for doing archaeology in Mexico. I, I think we have a, sort of a, a preconception, and, and it, it's just mine, and I'm not a Mesoamericanist at all. But my feeling, if it's com comparable to many other parts of the world, is that there is the agency or Department of Antiquities. They issue permits, and they largely provide opportunities for academic archaeologists to do research. And uh, I think if if, if what's going on in Mexico is what's going on in many other parts of the world, then what you're seeing is a greater concentration or a greater focus on uh, departments of antiquities to grant permits to principal investigators who are from the native country rather than uh, having uh, external um, North Americans or Europeans coming in to do the research. Is that true? And is that one of the reasons, is, is, does that feed into the system or the job system and the general structure? Or is it uh, basically still largely foreign archaeologists coming into Mexico doing their work, bringing their money and then going back. It is a half truth because I shared that experience. Mm -hmm. um, so it's not the same uh, for a researcher to be working outside of Mexico City and being at a state university. Maybe I, I mean the idea. Uh, or there's a general idea that everything is like the, uh, everything that we uh, or the infrastructure that we work with is very similar everywhere and this is this is not true we are not the uh, national university of mexico we are a state university and we're completely um, differently organized so um, it's it's it, it is true the national university has 
uh, top researchers. Like when I was head of the um, Humboldt Foundation in Mexico, I mean, I was like working with the 100 top people. Now there's 120 top people in Mexico in all areas. And um, and they're mostly based in Mexico City and at the National University. There's um, the second largest community of scientists. Um, it's it's in Morelos, and um, Morelos is kind of like a Silicon Valley. They have been trying to do um, uh, or, or build a Silicon Valley because the per capita it's really high when when it comes to um, that ratio of um, research per. The normal public. So it is. Um, it is a very interesting environment. But the reality is that we do not. That we do not have the uh, the resources. And when it comes to to the permits, it's like right now I'm struggling also to um, to um, with the project that I have with um, with the Getty Institute and the University of California. We're just going to be uh, doing some PXRF analysis and some figurines, Maya figurines. And it isn't easy, even though we have, uh, and, and when SRI was trying to work also in Mexico, because it, uh, after that stay there, um, we have a very fruitful relationship. And I really tried to push um, SRI coming down to Mexico and, um, and, and, and help us develop the applied sector in Mexico. Um, you know, um, having a figure like Jeff who's also, um, I mean, if he was he's a CRM representative, and then now that he's uh, president of asset of the SAA, I mean, it, it's the perfect figure to generate trust at the institute because he he's the face of the academia and he's also the face of CRM. But um, but it didn't work out. I mean, it's uh, it's probably what I would say that the uh, industry it's maybe like it. It was in the 1960s in the in, in the U.S. when you're going through that phase when you're trying to set up protocols and when you're right. trying yeah so it's um, um so it's very it's very difficult even for me that I'm attached to a Mexican university I'm a Mexican citizen and still it's very difficult to establish um, a collaboration or get a permit to do to do something so simple as um, as XRF. So um, right now, why, I mean, why have... is that? I mean, why is that? It seems like you know this is sort of an ancillary study to a primary excavation. Is there resistance? I mean, if the money is coming in from outside sources, I can't imagine they would resist that. Everything... Or is the money? Yeah, is go it... ahead. Everything that you do has to go through a council that will uh, basically review all of the projects that are submitted. And this is exactly where we fail to protect Mexico's heritage because it takes time. And you know that um, infrastructure development doesn't take time. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. I mean, it, it won't wait for us. So by the time that all these rules are um, well, are clear, then um, then you're able to get your permit. So it's easier if, if, if I were part of the Institute of Anthropology, then probably it would be easier for me to just do any kind of uh, project. But I have to show my credentials, present a project, and even if we have a collaborative, uh, well, if we have a collaboration with, with INA, we have a, uh, also um, several collaboration agreements uh, between the university, it, it, it doesn't work out. I mean, if we tried uh, so hard to get data, we had the permit at the end, 
but the, there's no coordination between all of the institutes and the agencies. And so when it comes to, um, I don't know, to public works and doing archaeology or trying to do, uh, coordinate both agencies, it's almost impossible. So what we end up doing um, in Morelos was uh, basically set up a protocol and one that emphasized that a lot of cooperation and a lot of collaboration needed to be um, established among all of the institutions, all the involved institutions in this economic development projects. So it isn't so, easy. It isn't about being a foreigner. It's just the structure. And the structure has rules, and those rules are the ones that are, in my opinion, those are the ones that are restraining us from being more effective in protecting our heritage. We will come back and resume our fascinating discussion with Dr. Sandra Lopez Varela um, after these words, and stay tuned. The future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. Conservation starts with us. Learn about environmental concerns each week when you tune in to Our Wild World with host Ellie Weiss. Our show centers on Africa each week and what's being done to save our wildlife, ecology, and ourselves. However, we'll also discuss what's going on closer to home. And most importantly, we'll let you know what can be done in our own backyards by featuring guest experts and featuring your questions and answers. Listen every Monday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Emotional intelligence has been documented to be the most important skill for a leader to move up in an organization. Leaders Playbook will unpack what emotional intelligence is, why it is important, and how you can raise your emotional intelligence for yourself, your direct reports, and your team. Join Dr. Relly Nadler every Monday morning at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern to the Leaders Playbook on the Voice America Business Channel. Your success, your success could depend on it. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. You're listening to Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology with Dr. Joseph Schuldenrein. To be a part of our discussion today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to joseph.schuldenrein at gra-goarc.com. Now, back to the program. We're back with our special guest, Dr. Sandra Lopez Varela, who is... Um, a Mexican archaeologist who has been working extensively from the uh, university in Morelos. And we were talking about the uh, bureaucracies and the protocols for undertaking uh, archaeological work within Mexico. And uh, Dr. Varela, if you would uh, s- discuss a little bit the what appears to, to be a lag between the uh, protocols that 
the archaeological infrastructure follows and the development protocols which developers follow uh, as far as I can see that's the real problem it's one of the major problems that you have you have sort of a bureaucracy that is sort of stuck in its old ways of, of going through whatever procedures and, and timelines it goes through and development which is uh, on a relatively fast track why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about how that works in Mexico well um, the thing is that with this um, concept of um, of an academic archaeology, maybe everything has to be about uh, doing research on a very long-term basis. Um, like in many other countries, I, I think, we're never trained to do a fast-track project, ever. I mean, we're, we could be very good excavating, we could be very good surface surveying, but we, we don't know how to act fast. There's um, there's a specialized um, department um, within the uh, within this national um, structure that would be the equivalent of doing CRM. But again, mm -hmm. I mean they they uh, short of people, they short of staff, they short of money, of course. And um, and there's also an idea that um, maybe you just have to intervene when there's a big pyramid on your on your way. It's like. Um, I mean, I have been writing about this. It's like um, maybe maybe it is time to um, rethink our national definition of, of heritage. It's right. not only about monumental and artistic and, um, you know, this, this values. Uh, one of the things that is happening right now in Mexico when all these projects go on, like all these infrastructure projects go on, even in the city or outside the city, uh, people start protesting on the streets. I mean, this is a big headache for the government. And, um, and it's an unnecessary headache because, um, you know, like you would do any normal uh, project that you would actually work with the people. Um, the kind of um, methodologies that are in place at at the moment, uh, even if we adopted them from the um, um, em environmental um, studies and uh, from doing, yeah, all this um, environmental impact assessment that we uh, right. in archaeology we have adopted right. those those methods, um, they they're not being seen as having an anthropological or an archaeological component, and even if I, I, I mean, we have worked both uh, SRI and myself, I have worked with the sector, uh, but through the university. I mean, there's this incredible group um, at the University of Morelos that is, uh, has been uh, doing all this um, land use plans projects, and but they're mostly from the biological or the environmental point of view. So mm -hmm. when they invited us, we were actually surprised that um, they wanted to incorporate archaeology. So um, the way they carry these projects are always through public workshops. And when you start thinking about the public workshops, whoever gets invited there is mostly the most important people or the elite people. So we created like a very special um, um, well, it would, yeah, like a, it was a strategy in which we surveyed the entire city. I mean, we did some uh, random sampling, and um, it was very interesting because then we were able to learn what people were thinking about what their heritage was, what they needed. And it was very interesting because all of these new resources that maybe here in the States, they're so common, like a battlefield or places where you're mourning your, your dead. Um, and this is something 
that is going on right now, that would never happen in Mexico because they're contemporary. It's like the clock for heritage to protect heritage stopped. We have been looking at news recently um, that maybe Mexico is going to start thinking about their heritage without any time restrictions. If Mexico starts doing this, then things are have to, then things have to change completely because then you would have to um, define, redefine your strategies to what it is really important right now, and maybe you will think that, okay, uh, we'll find ways to mitigate the damage that can be uh, done to um, the usual heritage, the monumental heritage, when it comes to um, to just to develop this, the infrastructure that people need, like hospitals or services or roads. Um, it is a fact that um, people not all the time in Mexico are going to overcome their poverty through an archaeological site so they can invite the tourism to go there. Mm-hmm. It's probably one of the most expensive strategies that any country can think about, that the way to overcome the poverty is just to uh, recreate um, an archaeological site and then the expense of building roads or building infrastructure for those for the tourism, the uh, maintenance that has to be done to all this uh, infrastructure surrounding an archaeological site is probably the most expensive thing uh, right now to think about um, overcoming the poverty of, 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 of a community. So um, um, this is, um, so I think it's going to be, the change is inevitable. Um, there has to, and, and it's already starting. I mean, even, but the thing is that there's not a, um, a very well-defined system. We see the uh, private industry and private companies moving in to do the work that INA can't do. So um, they get the permits through INA, but there has to be a very clear process. If, if the um, big bankers who are the ones that are basically sponsoring the restoration of these great haciendas in the southern part of Mexico, or right. even our Carlos Slim, who's like maybe um, um, donating money to restore downtown Mexico City. Right, uh, right. You know, there has to be a chance for everybody. Well, let me, let me go back and, and, and try to establish something here because you're hitting on a number of points that I think are really critical. Um, I think what you're saying to some degree is, yes, archaeology will be done as necessary if, say, for example, you hit the edge of a pyramid in Mexico City, yes. <laughs> then things will stop. But otherwise, there is no protocol for sort of a long-term developmental plan for actually going in and doing archaeology as part of the environmental compliance loop when an area gets developed. It's like if you hit it, then we stop. And if you don't hit it, then it's either not important enough or we simply are not developed enough in terms of our planning structures to do this. Is that the, is that the case? Well, there is, there, there, there is a process. A process that, the problem with the process is that it's quite old to cope right. with the pace of economic, um, economic right. development. That's, that's what I'm saying. It doesn't right. keep... With the, it doesn't keep pace with the rhythm of development. I understand that. What about private? End, what is the potential for private industry, private archaeology, applied archaeology, however you want to call it, for coming into Mexico, and either uh, 
getting itself organized from the inside or possibly even getting people from the states or from other countries to go in there and sort of generate their expertise and their ability to work in a timely fashion to get this work done. Well, the timely fashion, I think it's the problem because, I mean, you will have to go through the Institute um, and maybe collaborate like I am doing with uh, somebody uh, from Ina. In this case, if you want to work with me in principle, you are uh, working with a Mexican archaeologist and we can submit that project. But you're submitting a project like if it was really an academic project. Right. This is not an academic project, so that's, it's not that there's not a process. The process is there. It has to be updated to cope with what's going on in Mexico. I mean, it's like everywhere there's archaeology, and, um, and, and you're right. I mean, we don't have a value system set up on the resources, especially on new resources. I mean, the old values are, are, are there. And, um, and one of the main problems that I see is that, um, you know, the uh, environmental, the environmental projects demand by law to have a social impact assessment before you do anything. So um, nobody has pushed um, within these projects that a social impact assessment needs to be incorporated by law and by the social impact assessment well you have to include archaeology so of it's course, not yeah course. so um you know we have a, a lot of examples of like um costco uh coming down to uh, mexico specifically to uh cuernavaca and they know better i mean because they build um costco stores everywhere in the states and um unfortunately there was a of significant um, destruction to the heritage of, uh, of, of Morelos. And one of the things that people were, were really upset about was that, they, that the place where, it, where this happened was at a hotel that has, mm-hmm. that has a, um, an archaeological site. But right. people were not really – well, there was a sector, of course, that was fighting for the uh, formative um, remains, and, but there was the largest um, number of people that were actually on the streets. They were protesting because a hotel was destroyed, mm-hmm. and Mexico does not consider a hotel part of their heritage. Right. So, um, yeah, right, right, right. So it's the value that people have on the resources or, or what it's important that it's not part of the system and it's right. not part of this process. And, of course, you could, when we did um, this survey that I was telling you earlier about, uh, we found out that people want to preserve for the future their football court, their soccer court. Of and, of course, this will never be even <laughs> thought of the heritage um, uh, resource, but not, even by, not only by Mexico, I mean even by UNESCO. UNESCO right. would never think that a, that, that, that a football court would, can be, um, yeah, upgraded to a, to a heritage resource, to but a, it is a heritage a natural, resource. Yeah, right, of course. It's not a, 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 what we would call here a national register property. It would not be considered that right. for a variety of reasons. We'll get back and uh, do our last fascinating segment with uh, Sandra Lopez Varela on uh, the status of Mexican archaeology right after these words. The future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. Are you a single parent trying to create the balance between home life and work life? 
You may be running a successful business, but how are your relationships with your family and children? If you're one of the thousands of people trying to juggle it all, tune in to Straight Up with Chris, real talk on business and parenthood, hosted by Chris FSU. Chris is the portrait of the success story. Coming to the U.S. with no language skills, founding and growing several businesses while raising his daughter from age 7 to adulthood as a single dad. Listen every Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific on Voice America Variety. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Listening to Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology with Dr. Joseph Schuldenrein. To be a part of our discussion today, please call 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. Or send an email to joseph.schuldenrein at gra goarc.com. Now, back to the program. This is Joe Schuldenrein. We're uh, coming up to the wrap-up section of our program, our f- interview with Dr. Sandra uh, Lopez Varela, and um, she is a uh, founder of the Faculty of Humanities at the University of Morelos, uh, Mexico, and she's a research professor at that institution. We are talking about the nuts and bolts, for lack of a better word, of doing archaeology in Mexico. And uh, unless you've been living in, in a cave for the past uh, decade or more, you know that uh, Mexico is involved in a very serious um, struggle, uh, specifically the war against drugs, which has taken thousands of lives in that country, has clearly infiltrated into the United States with the drugs and and, uh, armament situation. And when I met Dr. Varela at the uh, Society for American Archaeology meetings uh, a couple of months ago in Hawaii, uh, one of the topics that we discussed uh, was the uh, climate for doing archaeology in what is effectively a war zone. Uh, This is not Iraq. This is not Afghanistan. We've had programs on that. But uh, by any definition, I think you would uh, now consider Mexico a war zone, given the... uh, the amount of violence, the nature of the violence, and the never-ending cycle that seems to be perpetuated in that country. And uh, Dr. Lopez Varela, why don't you talk a little bit about what that climate is like and how it affects archaeology in uh, your part of the world? Well, you would think that, um, well, you're probably watching the news and um, you'll think of all it, it's everything about politics and all these lives taken and um, and it's 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 a very painful process for Mexico I think that's the only way to, to say it um, and the thing too is that um, it doesn't seem to be happening everywhere I mean it's hard to hard to figure this out but um, 
the state of Morelos especially, I mean, if you're in the city right now, Mexico City, I mean, it has a problem. It's one of the largest cities in the world, and, of course, it has to have its problems. But um, but when it comes to the state of Morelos, what we're going through there um, has, um, has, really, has really affected the way we do research and the way we're even teaching. And all of, our, all of our activities, this is not only about um, how you do archaeology, it's about how we do science in, in, at that state, especially. Um, the road to uh, Cuernavaca, which is so beautiful, has become one of the, um, probably one of the most dangerous ones. I have had a few really very bad experiences and shocking experiences. Mexico has always been a very peaceful country. We don't know anything about war. That happened almost um, 100 years ago. So whatever you watch, I mean, um, it's, it's like far away. But when it, comes, when it comes so close to you, then it just completely changes um, your, your perspective. And it's, we, um, I mean, even, even if we can't be sure of, what's, uh, of who's behind what's happening, probably um, one of the uh, communities that has been targeted by this, um, what's going on in Mexico, by this terrible period, it's the biotechnology community. Mm-hmm. Um, we have seen some of our, of, of our colleagues, of our esteemed colleagues, have departed us. Um, we have had students, too, um, that we've no longer seen, that we don't know what happened to them. Um, and, I mean, this is, it has come to a point where, um, where we're, we're being very, very careful of what we, um, what we do. Like, I have decided no longer to take my students to the field. That's a, a personal decision I made um, because um, the last time I, I took them to the field, um, I realized how dangerous it was. Their lives are in my hands, and um, and I realized that I, I, I wasn't going to be able to protect them if something something happened, and it was also my life. So it was it was it's it's a very hard decision. Um, that I had to, I had to make. In fact, I pulled them out immediately when I found out what was going on in this in, the, in this place. I just decided it was time to go back, and it didn't matter whether we were going to be uh, discovering more things about um, the um, the outcome of this um, social impact, uh, though the social impact assessment of uh, poverty policies is like it was time to go back. And um, and we're living in fear. I mean, this this is this is what's going on. We're living in fear. Um, our university has taken some extreme measures. Um, we are no longer supposed to stay late at the university. We're living early, and if we have to um, stay longer, uh, well, then we have to leave our cars inside the university. No cars go outside, and we need we need to make sure that we're taking. Um, sort of like taxis that are um, certified and uh, that uh, at least we know that uh, they're going to be safe. But um, it's no longer, I mean, maybe for, for, for doing archaeology, if you wanted to stay longer at the, at the library, well, maybe you better take that book back with you and leave the university around four or five. That's um, no, um, yeah, our, the staff, the university staff has to leave around four. But the people that are more affected are those that have their microscopes there that are working with living organisms and um, and that have their cells and that they have to be there all the time and that they have to take care of their experiments. So sure. it's 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 been it's it's been tough. It's been 
very tough and through all the experiences that we we have um we all have experienced um one way or another we we are all seeing the effects of of um of this war and um yeah i mean it's it's um it's difficult and um and I don't think it's going to be easy to solve, even with the new with the new government, with the new position that they have, because when when you go deep into the problem, you see that this is not going to be a war that is going to be solved with armament or with armies or with special police um, forces. This is this is all about poverty, and um, and when you hear people saying that. Um, the state, the state has failed, has failed them because they're still poor despite all their efforts. And basically, the yeah, this organization, this organized crime, have taken the uh, the role of the state and are providing what is needed um, to. Um, and the state is simply not giving what is needed by the people of Mexico. And 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 this is a this is a big reality that I think and every government, not only the Mexican government, but also the U.S. government has to, uh, has to face, that this is, this is a problem related to, to poverty, not only to drugs. And uh, as long as we don't go into that um, our core that is generating part of the, part of the problem, um, we will never be able to solve this. And we will continue uh, under this um, wave of violence. Have there been any incidents at archaeological sites, or have archaeologists been affected directly by violence on sites or in route to sites, or has it not reached that situation yet? And is there a potential for doing that in certain parts of the country? In certain parts of the country, yeah. I'm, I guess I'm a living experience of, of some of those um, Violent acts, and um, and I'm very glad that I'm alive. But uh, when you go through them, and, and and you know, it's somebody was saying, it's like this is like another Afghanistan. This is what happens in Afghanistan. You have bombs. You have uh, we have had um, a couple of bombs uh, at the university, and you know, it, uh, one of the things that. Um, that is happening. It's like every university, is, it's an autonomous university. The autonomy of a university is something that is highly respected. But um, given the situation, at least in the state of Morelos, whenever there is an emergency uh, that is in danger, that is maybe putting the whole community in danger, then uh, we have the special, special police, uh, the federal police coming into campus. So we have been evacuated. So it hasn't. It, I mean, it's 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 a very different. I, I don't even know when 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 I go to work, if I'm if I'm going to go back home. It's um, it's a question that that it's always there, and um, and maybe some other people. I mean, it's amazing that I I have gone through so many experiences, and then some of my colleagues have had no experience with this uh, with this war whatsoever. So. Um, it's it's I guess it's random. Um, maybe because I commute from Mexico City to um, to the state of Morelos, that I right. put myself into more danger than all the people that live there. But I mean, it's like everywhere you go, and uh, most of the people have had um, an incident related to um, to this to this violent times in Mexico. 
We only have a few minutes left, uh, Dr. Lopez Varela, but I would like to ask you what your vision is and what the prospects are for archaeology down the road, assuming clearly that uh, somehow uh, that we get a handle on this violent situation. Where do you see the profession going? Where do you see the role of private sector, heritage management, funding? Where do you see that? Well, first, I hope my words do not discourage people to come and do research in Mexico. There are a lot of places that you can do archaeology, that you, could, you can be safe. Uh, I mean, it's, it's like everything in life. You go through good experiences and bad experiences, but Mexico is such a great country. And, um, yeah, I guess it's people, too. So um, I, think, I think it is uh, because of everything that is just happening, the contextual um, uh, setting that is developing from all this, even if it's the, um, even if it's terrible times, um, it has to, the direction right now is going to be that applied archaeology. There's no, there's no other solution. I mean, it's like we can't just have hundreds and hundreds of students uh, enrolled at universities, and maybe the applied, the applied sector is not only going to develop in, um, within archaeology or anthropology, it's going to develop everywhere. I mean, this is just a, an inherent pressure and um, the way we're seeing it because things um, have a different origin or have a, um, they're, they're not unique to Mexico. This is where we're a global world. And so it's going to, that's, that's going to be the trend. And I'm actually going to be very happy to know that all those, um, great students that I have right now, they're going to be able to get a job next year when they finish up their, their degree. And, uh, they're going to be contributing to solve many of, um, Mexico's, um, Contemporary problems. I mean, that's that's sort of my ideal. That's what I've been working with, um, and I have been trying to involve um, many companies and uh, and all these great people, my great colleagues that have worked in the applied sector and also in the academia around the world to uh, to help me support this model because um, it's going to be. I mean, it's going to create benefits for everybody, not only for for the students, for the academia. It's uh, Mexico is going to benefit from this. I mean, I would like to see. Um, I think um, 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 an industry, an archaeology that could actually provide more um, income than just um, a tourist ticket. I mean, the potential for for archaeology to be one of the main industries of Mexico—it's—it's—it's it's, it's there. I mean, this is one of the richest um, archaeological um, countries in the world. So, um, I, I, I think it's—I I think this is what's going to happen in. We're going to have to end this program. Fascinating discussion. Uh, Dr. Varela, I really appreciate your time and your uh, very brave expose on what's going on in Mexico. And uh, thank you so much. And we look forward to our audience participation and involvement in our next program. And thank you so much. We'll see you next time. 
you so much. Thanks again for tuning in to Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology with Dr. Joseph Schuldenrein. Please join us for another unique journey into the past next Wednesday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. In the meantime, think about the past with an eye towards the future and a better tomorrow. Tomorrow.